Computer, initialize Holosuite. Good evening and welcome to another episode of The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Perry. And I'm your host, David. Tonight we're talking about Season 2, Episode 7, Rules of Acquisition. Before we continue, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts as The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. Absolutely. And as I say every week, you totally should find us. We have a lot of great fun, especially on Twitter. In fact, you if you follow us at all or began following us between last week and this week, you were a part of some really great stuff that we ended up doing on um, on the Fire Caves uh, Twitter in regards to uh, some of the new Trek that's out, Discovery, Picard, and, uh, and Prodigy, and so forth. So if you haven't and you're just now you know following us, you missed it, but I mean, obviously it's still there, so you can go back and look. But that's just all the more evidence as to why you should follow us, because it was great. So and I'm not going to tell you what it is. You're just going to have to, you know, <laughs> go find out. So I'm not going to tell you. But um, beyond that, we are here to talk about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. But we do our, you know, a little bit of housekeeping, of course, before we begin diving into the episode. So first things first, David, how has your week been? It's been good. Um kind of uneventful for the most part i would say nothing really to say much new with me but things are good how are you uh great and i will have some new things so you know last time it was my daughter's birthday or my birthday right. this time it was my daughter's birthday she is now seven years old and full wow. of all the precociousness that you can imagine in a seven-year-old <laughs> um so she got to celebrate in style. We enjoyed that. Very good. And then um, for me, of course, we had the um, debut of the new season of Star Trek Picard. Mm. And so this was the first time in 23 years that there were two new episodes of new Star Trek shows on at the exact same time. Right. So th you got to watch... Um, Discovery's new episode and Pic uh, Star Trek Picard's new episode. So I was through the moon excited about that. <laughs> Watched them both. Um, definitely enjoyed them both, but the Picard season premiere was fantastic. It was it was more than I could have hoped. Like there was just so much that made it feel like kind of like you're watching Next Gen all over again. Wow. You know, uh, kind of a um, I would say definitely a, a more dramatic version of Next Generation, sure. But still, a lot of the elements, a lot of the style, a lot of the way they do the story was there. Right. So, um, and I'd read a couple of things after I watched the episode, of course. Read a couple of things that were talking about how um, in this season, there really was a lot of extra emphasis from the writers and directors to kind of like fine-tune their storytelling. Right. They basically, there was the critique of the first season was kind of like they had a general story, but they weren't sure where it was totally going to go. Right. Whereas in this season, they already know. They know everything. They've got every detail already mapped out. They're just, just piecing it out to us at this point. Right. So, and if that's true, if that's the major difference, it really shows. Because like every single beat in the episode it was perfect. It was just there. They gave you just enough nostalgia without it being overly done or contrived. You had great surprising moments. Right. You, you, just, just a lot of great stuff. So if you haven't seen it, you should go watch it. And if you haven't <laughs> seen Picard at all, you should still go watch it because um, it actually really is a great show. I actually went back and watched season one before watching season two, the premiere. And um, even with that whole, they weren't really sure about a couple of things. It's still a great, uh, season right of a show right um and then of course like i said Di discovery did not disappoint they've been doing a lot to build to this particular mystery and they were doing more of that and they gave us 
a lot in this most recent episode too about right. the mystery. So um, a lot of great development there as well. I don't have a problem with discovery. If you're online and you're seeing a lot of people talking about it and the negative and whatever else, I, guys, you just got to give it a chance. You got to stop griping about this, <laughs> this other nonsense, you know, wokeness, whatever. Just shut up about all that and just watch the show. Stop letting your background behind the scenes so-called politics stop you from inter- in- enjoying Star Trek. It's a great show. <laughs> just just watch it. Got it. Got it. So, yeah, that's about, that's about my only thing I can really say on that. Just watch it. It is good, okay? Just watch it. Um, my other bit of housekeeping, of course, will be that uh, now this is has not yet totally been confirmed. But from what I've been told... Star Trek Next Generation will be leaving Netflix in April. Mm. So if you are watching it there, you've got until April to get it all watched, or you just need to go ahead and make the jump to Paramount+. Plus. Now, I've heard there's a couple of other platforms that will still be carrying it. Like, I think one of them was like Pluto or something like that. But pretty much the only way you'll be able to access Star Trek is going to be Paramount Plus. So is that TNG so, and Deep Space Nine off going off that? No. So 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 far, all that's been okay. said is that it's next generation. The oh, last wow. holdout will be Deep Space Nine. Got it. Now, to me, that kind of doesn't make any sense. Like, if you're going to take one, you might as well take the other one. I don't know why they would do them piecemeal, but I mean, they kind of did that last time too. You know, because they took they took Voyager, the original series, and Enterprise right. all off in one fell swoop and left next gen and. Deep Space Nine. Well, it's probably that the so, contracts were will have the show for this amount of time, and it's just that they're not being yeah. renewed. But that also means that they end at different dates for some reason. Yeah. Or yeah. yeah. So, uh, so yeah. So again, I'll keep looking into that. Keep my eye on it. You know, as I always do with these things. But so far, that's what's been going around is that Next Generation will be leaving Netflix. Uh, last day for that is supposed to be. Um, yeah, like the end of March, really. So wow. come April 1st, could be gone. Cool. So I'll keep you updated on that. Um, but that's it for me in the Star Trek updating. Um, is there anything else that we want to talk about before we jump into? Well, I was, I guess I was just thinking before I was like, oh, I guess I do have some, I've just been enjoying watching MasterChef again because I have my big nice. TV and you and I have talked about MasterChef before. I'm a huge fan of Gordon Ramsay. I just, love the he, he's always energetic and he's a harsh critic but then at times he's like super friendly to the people he's talking with it's basically mm-hmm. for him it's like you don't give him bs like even if you fail you better admit that you're failing because then he'll like i mean he might yell at you but he'll like give you encouragement to like go do better and so i always enjoyed just watching that or hell's kitchen and i'm way behind on like hell's kitchen but i have like all the seasons on Hulu, so I'm like, I guess I'm just gonna catch up right now. I'm finishing up the current season of MasterChef, with season eleven, and I think they did it during the yeah. pandemic because the way they're doing it is much different on this season. But that makes mm-hmm. sense, you know. It's basically isolated. They're not going out to external locations to do right. contests amongst like you know regular people. They're just all at the studio the whole time. But that works. That's fine. Um, but yeah, I, that's that's like the one show I'm into right now is, is that other than, yeah. than uh, Deep Space Nine. So. Well, yeah, you know, ever since The Expanse ended, I have been searching <laughs> for a new show to kind of like, you know, fill my Sci-fi. fill that void, you know. Right. And I mean, it's great that Picard is back, but I, I, I enjoy sci-fi so much and it's just as much as I get from Star Trek, it would be great if there were other sci-fi shows to watch. Right. And there really just aren't any. Like, if you look around, there's really just not a lot of contemporary sci-fi going on. Now, there's a lot of, like, fantasy shows that seem to be picking up speed everywhere, you know. Right. And But I'm just, I'm really not into witches and goblins and things like that. It's just, it never really was my thing. I, I enjoyed Lord of the Rings, right. but... That's probably about it. And even with as much as I enjoyed Lord of the Rings, I'm really not looking forward to the new show that's coming out on Amazon. It's yeah, just you and I talked not... about that privately, and we basically came to the conclusion, at least my conclusion was, and I think you agreed with me, was like, whatever happens, I want a good story. Like, There's a lot of people yeah. out there who are really concerned, and I'm in that group of like, look, Tolkien had a his story, the, the Middle Earth story, was supposed to be a fictional version of what pre-historical Europe was like this is pre-history Europe and so people are like well if they're changing what that means with various 
various actors that don't fit that description, does that ruin what Tolkien was trying to do? And it's like, okay, I get that. I just want a good story. So you better well, still give me a good story. That's all I'm asking for. So in the end, yeah. that's if you can do that, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a chance. But if you start and changing what... the story in order to fit your... If you take what Tolkien made and then try and reshape it in your own image, like that's just going to fall apart because it was so good already. You don't need to like do a whole lot to fix it. It's already a great story. Don't don't mess with it too much. But whatever. Well, yeah. and that and that also kind of brings me back to my same point that I was making about discovery in the sense of just watch it. You know, there are a lot of things about uh, about discovery and possibly about this. Uh, Lord of the Rings show that could be very good, but we've already the show hasn't even aired yet. There's not even an episode out, right? And it's already been critiqued to death from the images that we've seen in promos. We don't really know what the story is they're going to tell, and that actor, that character, that new description or whatever may very well fit. So right. again, you know, I'm I'm still going to check it out. Like I said, I'm not exactly excited about it, but I'm still going to end up checking it out, and that's what I'm going to be looking for is. Is the story good? Right. I don't care if the actor playing the high elf, whatever the heck, happens to be dark-haired and green-eyed instead of white, shockingly white hair and whatever. Right. If the acting is good and it conveys the story well, I'm sold. Right. We'll keep moving forward. Right. That's it. Right. So, again, I will be taking my own advice, which is be to shut up <laughs> and watch it. <laughs> Okay, and I will be critiquing it solely on the merits of the story. Yeah. Anybody who comes to me and is like, well, I couldn't get into it because the elf was brown instead of gold and silver and... F well, shut up. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care. I don't care about your opinion at all. I will say that right now. Right. So yeah. now if you, if you want to come to me and say that you felt like the actor's, you know, delivery of the lines was, was choppy and stiff and they didn't convey the story. Okay, we can talk about those things. Right. But uh, anything else? No. Just, right. I'm not. Don't I hear it? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, I'm definitely with you there. Um, the other thing I was really enjoying this week, I was just going back a little bit. I love Legos. I mm -hmm. love the Lego movie and the sequels. I was just, just listening to the soundtrack again, and it's fantastic. <laughs> like, the original movie had the song, Everything is Awesome. And I don't know if anyone's seen the second movie, but in the second movie, there's a song called Everything's Not Awesome. And it's like an, it's a, it's like a critique on the original everything is awesome song it's like the movie is so meta it understands itself it's just it's more brilliant than the movie deserves to be for being a giant commercial for toys but yeah anyway that's that's what i was doing this week was just having yeah. fun with some meaningless well, stuff <laughs> nothing serious I, I going just, on right now yeah but yeah <laughs> Well, also in my in my downtime, in my search for another show, I actually ended up watching, started to watch Dexter, oh. which I had seen bits and pieces of episodes way back when it originally aired, right. but I never actually sat and watched any of it, and um, I don't know why. I, I don't know what was going on then that would have kept me from watching it, right. but for whatever reason, I didn't, right. so I've been watching it, and I've actually really been enjoying it, and uh, so that's where I think I'm, I think I just started season three okay so you know i've never gotten um, into yeah. that one i guess you'll have to tell me which if this is right or not but you know if the idea of the story is that he's a guy who basically is a vigilante against serial killers like he'll kill the serial killers like for me it's like yeah. that sounds like he's too much of an anti-hero for me to be willing to get into it like i don't want to see well, him torturing someone to death as revenge for some other gruesome crime it's like two wrongs don't make a right am i not understanding yeah. the premise correctly or I mean, that's that would be like the very basic. Like, I would say that if if the promos were out for the show right now, that'd probably be what you would hear the most. He's a serial killer who only kills bad guys. Right. That's not entirely accurate. From what I've watched of the show, anyway, it's starting from a very young age. He was different. And he had this compulsion to kill things. Okay. And then that kind of elevated to people. Right. Um. You know. And then through his uh, foster father, he he hones that desire to kill by aiming it at people who are deemed bad, who right. break the law, who do serious crimes. Right. So he was always a serial killer. He just kind of, as his way of satisfying the urge, he makes sure that the people he takes out are worth killing. Right. Right. So, you know, it's, it's 
I wouldn't even really, you know, like you said, it's not even morally ambiguous. You know, killing is killing. Right. Uh, it just so happens that he's taking out bad people who were already doing bad things, right. but he's still a bad man. Right. You know, despite their, um, I don't even feel like there's a, an attempt to humanize him. Right. They make it very clear that he is, he is uh, psychopathic, you know. Yes. Uh, he doesn't, he doesn't respond well to other um, you know, people and situations. He's a great pretender. He knows how he's supposed to feel because his foster father, who in his own way is kind of a bad man, in, in, well, in my opinion, right. his foster father raised him and trained him to basically fake it mm. and get through so he can continue killing. Right. So, huh. but we could talk about Dexter another time because <laughs> um, <laughs> there's a whole lot on that show that we could uh, unpack. Sure. sure. Yeah. But we're here for Star Trek. Yes. So you want to hit me with those episode highlights so we can get into it? Oh, I feel like I did a bad job last week. Maybe you should do it. Are you what do you think? You want me to do I it or thought, I thought I did it last week, or was that me? I could have I think last week was the one about the woman in the wheelchair, right? The Yes. So and yes, I think, I feel like I butchered the chronology I, chronology. I went back and looked it over and I was like, Oh man, I got some things out of order. And I totally forgot that okay. one scene with the with the Klingon chefs, you'd be like, there was one scene you forgot. It's like, I know, I know, I forget. I don't know. I'm happy to do it. Okay. What do you think? A- either way, I mean, I can I can take us through it real quick. Let's it's do fine. it. Let's do it. You go for it. You go for it. All right. All right. So, um, this episode, again, um, Rules of Acquisition. This one starts in Quark's bar, and we see that there's a bunch of Ferengi. The bar's closed down. It's got the you know dark lights basically in, indicating it's late and they're playing a Ferengi game called Tongo. Yes. And it's all these Ferengi sitting around and who else is there? Lieutenant Judzia Dax, yes, of course, up late and playing this game, which she seems to be doing very well at. Yes. And this is making the other Ferengi, um, upset because she's a woman and she's not one she's not even supposed to be playing the game let alone winning right but it's it's because of uh quark's infatuation with her that he has let her sit in on this game and she's playing mm-hmm. um rom quark's brother indicates that uh you know he he is bothered by the fact that she's winning um she tells him that it was curzon the previous host of dax the man right. who actually began playing Tongo. Um, he's like, oh, so it's Curzon that's beating us. And she's like, well, actually, Curzon was terrible at it. So <laughs> it's really uh, it's really her that's, that's doing it. Yeah. Right. Um, so then we're introduced to another Ferengi whose name um, we later find out is Pell, mm-hmm. uh, who gives um, um, Cork some sand peas yes. in order to make him want to take a drink of the drink he has. Right. And he basically is a way of just saying, hey, use these instead of your other complimentary nuts or whatever, and you'll increase your profit. It's a way of ingratiating this character into uh, uh, Quark's circle right. and also kind of introducing us as to who this character is. The game is interrupted by a communication alarm going off, and it turns out it's Grand Negasek, and the Negus is basically telling them he is on his way to the station. He's got this great deal. Yes. Yes. Grand Negasek is back, and he has got a deal for Cork. Um... The episode then goes to Cisco's office, yep. and we see Cisco and Kira, and they are meeting with Zek and Zek's very large, very silent assistant. And um, he basically tells them that the Ferengi are interested in doing business in the Gamma Quadrant, and they have found this other race on the other side of the wormhole that is willing to do business with them. And they basically want to use the station as the area where they're going to handle. Um, their negotiations. Right. The alien race is called the Dozai, and um, they're going to be coming to Deep Space Nine to begin the negotiations and so forth. And basically, Cisco and Kira are warning him that, yeah, we'll let you do this here because it kind of is in our best interest too. We get an alien race from the Gamma Quadrant to come on board, and we get to learn about them, which is you know rare for them at this point. Where we haven't really seen a lot of uh, aliens from the other side right. coming here yet. Um, so we'll let this happen, but they're warning them, treat your guests with respect and don't be swindling them and cheating them the way that we know Ferengi do. Um, Zek 
you know, he offers his own little sleazy platitudes or whatever. And then he also hits on Major Kira, which is pretty <laughs> funny, um, you know, because she's just she's not having it, nope. you know, but still he attempts it anyway. And he prom- I think this is. Yeah, he uh, he promises her some By some soil fertilizer nitrate. Yes. Right. Five, he promised thousand kilos of it. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And it's to go to Bajor and, but you know, Bajor has been suffering trying to rebuild since the occupation. So yeah, they really need this in order to, you know, start farming again. So of course that kind of like mollifies Kira a little bit. Um, but you have to remember that Cisco insists that Zek give it as a gift, and yes, and Zek is well, like, he oh, kind of intimated, right? He yeah. kind of intimated that it was going to be a gift anyway, and then last minute he's like, "Oh, we'll give it to you at cost." And he's like, "Uh," and then Cisco <laughs> again subtly, Cisco kind of holds that over him, yeah. right? Yeah. So then we see that when they leave uh, Cisco's office, there we're now back with. Um, Quark and um, and Zek, and they're talking about what they're trying to get from the Dozai. Apparently, the Dozai have a uh, berry, tulip berries, yes. that produces this wine that apparently is very popular. Right. And the and the Ferengi Alliance wants to buy up a bunch to start producing tulip berry wine here in the Alpha Quadrant. Right. So um, that's like the whole point of the negotiations. And Zek has decided to make um, Quark his point man right. on this. Mm-hmm. Quark is very excited, but then that Ferengi that we were introduced to, Pell, she's like, uh, he's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, he's like, uh, you know, quotes some rules of acquisition to him, which kind of brings Quark up short. He realizes he's kind of let his avarice get the better of the him. The bigger the and smile, he's being... the sharper the knife, yes. Correct. Yeah. So he, you know, he's now kind of brought up short, trying to figure out, you know, what the situation is here for real. Right. You know, and then they depart from that meeting. Pell goes back to uh, his quarters, and that's where we see Pell take off the synthetic uh, fake lobes, the fake Ferengi ears, to reveal much smaller ears, and takes off the little chest piece that they were wearing, which now reveals that Pell is actually a female. Right. So we see our first female Ferengi. Yeah. Um, after that, we have the meeting of the Dozai. Dozai should come up, come on board, and they violently come on board. When the docking hatch opens, somebody comes flying through the thing yes. and lands at Cisco's feet. And apparently, the Dozai are very aggressive, very big, burly people um, with, with great red faces. facial markings. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they've got a lot of facial decoration, you know. Um, so the Ferengi um, meet up with with the Dozai delegation. Right. And they are asking for 10,000 vats of tulip berries. The um, Dozai agree to 5,000, but they keep pushing for 10,000. Right. And then um, the Dozai is mad. The Dozai are mad because they are not talking with Zek. Why are they dealing with this middleman toady of Quark? Right. And this kind of leads to a tense moment where the Dozai breaks uh, one of the... Um, display pads yes. they were using to have all their data on it. <laughs> Pretty impressive physical feat there. Yes. But, you know, Pell interjects and uh, stops it from escalating further. Yeah, well, it's interesting. I just um, want to quickly say, it's, Quark yeah. is all scared. Like, he's ready to, like, just run from the conversation, but Pell mm-hmm. stands up and says, Quark is the one you talk to. That's how it is. So, right. Pell is actually the one with some <clears throat> cojones in this situation. Uh, yeah. So anyway, continue on. <laughs> so after that meeting, after that meeting, we go to back to Quarks. They're playing Tongo again. Zek is asking Quark about the meeting and why is he, you know, what's his strategy, what's his plan, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then he demands that Quark increase the amount from 10,000 vats of tulip berries to 100,000. Now Quark is really kind of upset because he's like, wait a second, it was just hard enough to get them to agree to 10,000 and they technically haven't even agreed to 10,000 yet. Right. And now you want me to push them for a hundred thousand. Um, but you know, Zek is the grand Nagus. He's not going to fail him. Right. Um, you know, so he decides to go ahead and push with it. Um, after that game, Dax and Pell meet up in the replomat. Um, 
Dax is kind of making observations about Pell and how devoted she seems to be to Quirk, and then that kind of leads her down the converse, into the conversation to where Pell accidentally admits that she is in love with Quirk and that, oh, she's actually female. Right. Dax is surprised because, again, female Ferengi don't leave the home planet. No one's ever really seen one. Right. So she's kind of shocked. Um, but she, you know, backs off uh, from that line of questioning and... Um, Quark shows up to go back to the negotiations. Yeah, exactly. So now they have to go and finish the negotiations with the Dozai. Um, the Dozai, upon hearing, they're, like, they're, first, they're finally ready to agree to 10,000 vats. Quark ups it to 100,000. They get into an argument and the Dozai delegation storms off and heads back through uh, the wormhole. Right. They're like, we're not giving you a hundred thousand, or we're not just don't have it. Right. So they storm out. Now Quark is really upset and he's scared because he doesn't know what's going to happen. And he decides to use the Negus's ship to go to the Gamma Quadrant to meet with the Dozai to get the Vats. Well, I say it's not quite that. It's that when they go to talk to Zek, Pell suggests that they are committed to making this successful, and Pell suggests that they take the ship. And Cork is like, okay. "Oh right, yeah, I could, I could pilot it." Um, right, yeah, but keep going, keep going. Okay. So they go. They take Zek's ship. They go to the Gamma Quadrant. They go to the Zadozai home world, where apparently they're like worse than Klingons. They are brawling, fighting, sparring group, um, and that's just how they kind of conduct all of their business, life, business, everything. Um, Quark is trying to meet with, again, the same and uh, Dozai leader, whose name is Ngatu, by the way. Okay. Um, uh, meet with him again, but he's refusing. So then Ngatu's assistant uh, comes to them quietly, and she's like, he will never give you 100,000 vats. Even if he wanted to, he couldn't give you that much because we don't have it. Right. And that's when she's like, yeah, if you want to have that much, there's another group you need to be in contact with. And that's the Karma. And that's because the Karma are a part of something called the Dominion. And so you might be able to get it from them, but it will be at a definitely a different price. Right. So now... Quark and Pell realize what's been going on here, that Zek was actually um, upping the ante here because he didn't want to deal with the Dozai. He doesn't even really want to deal with the Karma. He wants to deal with the Dominion. Right. And they just don't have an end with the Dominion yet. They need to find someone who does, right. which is the Karma. Right. So now um, when Quark relays this information back to uh, Zek. Zek is very pleased. He's telling Cork he's going to give him a percentage of any and all deals coming through the Gamma Quadrant if he can secure this Karma connection. Right. So now they're going to stay on the Dozai planet, and this means that Cork uh, uh, and Pell may have to spend the night together. And Pell is, of course, nervous because... He is a she and does not want to be discovered. Right. Um, but this talking, you know, instead of trying to share the bed, they're talking and going over things over and over again. She gets very, you know, animated and uh, kisses Quark. Right. Which, you know, kind of lets the veil drop there. Right. They return. They finally return to Deep Space Nine and Quark's like, never happened. Don't worry about it. We're, we're just going to move on from this. Right. Like it was nothing. Right. And, um, you know, she reveals again that, you know, she's a female, that she's got, she's in love with Quark. And Quark is like, you can't tell anybody because well, if you do, I'll go to jail. Again, not exactly. I have to push back because it turns out that back on the station, Quark's brother. Oh, that's, that's right. right. So they're talking. They're back on the station. They're trying to talk about it. But then Rom pulls so Rom Quark had, away. Rom had been going through Pell's uh, room because Rom was angry because Odo was like, I would never let anyone come between me and my right. brother. And so and I actually went, mm -hmm. Rom went searching through Pell's room trying to find something to, to get on Pell and discovers the earlobes that were That's being right. hidden. And so um, Rom, while Zek and Cork were talking, he's like, I need to talk to you, I need to talk to you, I need to talk to you. And finally he pulls Cork over. And they pull Pell over, and in the background, you see the three of them talking, and Cork falls down because he's fainted from the news. Oh my goodness, that's yes. why I was kissed. That's why this is a problem. Because if a Ferengi is because been... Uh, a Ferengi woman. If a Ferengi woman has been conducting business, and more importantly, if a Ferengi man has been, been found to be taking advice yes. from a Ferengi woman, 
he could end up in jail. Right. So when he passes out, he then wakes up in the infirmary. Um, Quark is desperate to confirm that Rom has not told anyone about Pell. Yes. Pell, uh, Rom is like, nope, I haven't told anybody. I was waiting for you to do it, to to expose this right. this terrible whatever. And Quark makes a deal with him. He's like, no, no one can know. Because if anyone finds out, again, I'm going to be the one that suffers here. Right. And he is kind of making a backhand deal. Hey, once all of this you know, Dozai business is settled. I'll be so rich, I won't have time to deal with the bar. The bar is yours. Right. You just gotta be quiet a little while longer. Right. Um, Pell, on the other hand, has other ideas. She doesn't want to be silent about who or what she is anymore. Right. Um, they have dinner at, in Quark's quarters, and it's the Grand Nagus, Rom, Pell, and so forth. Or no, the Grand Nagus, Rom, and Quark. Pell comes in later, right. and she confronts the Nagus. She reveals her true identity, which sends the whole room into an uproar. Yeah. And Zek is like, "Yeah, she really." Uh, you, she rips the ears off, and then Cork and the, the grand over her ears. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's a pretty funny scene. And then the Nagus is like, "I'll see that you end up in jail for this, Quark." And he's like, "I didn't know that she was a woman." And he's like, "Ignorance is no excuse." Yes. And then. Um, they have their own little brief exchange, and then this gets turned around. And he's like, "Well, what if when people find out that you also were benefiting from Pell's knowledge?" And, she's, and he's and Zek's like, "Well, I didn't know she was a woman." He's like, "Ignorance, no excuse." <laughs> exactly. So you know his it the nice turnaround there, and then they agree that no one should know. Pell's gonna get her little slice of the profits, but then she's basically being disappeared right. for them. Shoot out the door, and as she and before he leaves, Quark, of course, uh, not Quark, but the Grand Nagus looks at her and is just like, "Shame on you!" and turns around and walks out. <laughs> um, so then uh, they say their goodbyes. Pell is going to leave the station, taking her profit. She offers Quark to come with her. Right. He says no. They kiss and they part ways, right. and the episode ends basically with Quark and Dax playing tango and kind of you know, waxing poetic over the lost love and potential, you know, and uh, he acts like he doesn't really know what he's ta- what she's talking about, but you can kind of see there's some feelings there, but then he goes back to his old lecherous ways and hitting on Dax and everything else, and then that's it. Yeah. That's essentially the episode. Yeah, she does so... say to him that, um, like she says to him, oh, are you saying you got over her so quickly? And he's like, oh, what are you talking about? She says, I know you better than that, and so... This is one of the first episodes where I feel like Dax had a bigger part to play. Yeah, Dax was a bit more involved yes, here. Still he was, kind yes. of more minor than I wanted, but we got a lot more characterization and input from her this time than before. Mm-hmm. Especially at the beginning of the episode when she was talking like she was she's a female and they were all like, "Ah, oh, we don't want to have to play against a female and lose to a female." And then suddenly Pell leans over I knew immediately. The voice was it gave it away for me. I, I don't know who the actress is at the moment. I'll have to look that up. But um, I immediately knew it was like, oh, that's that's a woman. It just fit the yeah. plot too nicely for mm-hmm. what had just the conversation had just been. Uh, Helene mm-hmm. Eddy, I believe Udi Helene Udi is the actress uh, who plays uh, Pell. If I'm looking up this I'll, information correctly, so um, I'll take your word for it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not 100 percent sure. Um, but you're right. I mean, we did get to see a bit more of Dax and, you know, instead of relying on her as our science officer, she was way more personal here. We get to see a more playful side of her. She's playing Tongo. Yes. She's engaged in, in conversations with the Ferengi on a more personal level. Mm-hmm. She's able to spot. Apparently, she knows Ferengi so well, she could tell there was something different about Pell. She wasn't exactly sure what it was. Right. And then we understand why that is. No one really sees Ferengi women. Yes. You know, they don't come off the planet, yeah. you know. Yeah, they have to um, live also... naked. They have to stay in the home. They aren't allowed to learn to read. They can't learn the rules of yeah. acquisition. Sounds and terrible. <laughs> yeah, definitely not allowed to earn profit and participate in business and commerce. Yes. Um, you know, we also get to see a great scene between Kira and Dax, seeing yes. the formation of their friendship a bit, where um, Zek's uh, assistant, Mehardu, comes into the into ops, yes. and he gifts um, Kira a apparently a very beautiful Bajoran styled earring and he disappears before she can, you know, give it back to him in a flat refusal, uh-huh. you know, and she's just like, 
I don't know what he thought would have been accomplished here. And Dax is like, nothing. He probably didn't think anything would happen for him, but that's not going to stop him from trying. Right. And, you know, they have their exchange about Kira not understanding Dax's um, relationship with Ferengi. And Dax is pretty much just like, you know, they are who they are. You know, we know that they are lying, deceitful, little, you know, troll people or whatever. But Uh once you accept that about them, you actually can see that they're a lot of fun. So, Dax does a lot of, I feel like she does a lot of heavy lifting here in the sense of, of greater Trek in the, in the sense of uh, uh, accepting the alien races as they are. Right. Accepting that you're never going to necessarily come across people who have the same belief system and values that you do. And instead of trying to impose them on others, accept them as they are. There's not, there still doesn't mean that you can't find things about them that you can like and appreciate and even enjoy, which Dax clearly does, like right. Tongo, for example, you know? But she, instead of being all hung up on their differences, she's found some similarities that she can work with, and that's how she's able to establish relationships with them. Great lesson. Yeah. Great lesson for people, Yeah, I think, in this situation. Yeah. Yeah, it's... um. That's something that TNG really hit on a lot as well. Like, there's plenty of episodes where, like, you know the the, the the what's the rule the um uh the law against interaction with other societies um the prime directive that's it the prime directive um it definitely would seem that Deep Space Nine isn't at least so far hasn't really had to wrestle with the prime directive nearly as much as T and G does but and this episode didn't directly yeah. reference the prime directive but um, you can see how it could have played in at least more overtly in this episode with the Ferengi yeah. culture and even the Dossie culture a little bit. The Dossie culture was very interesting for the brief glimpse we got of it. <laughs> oh, so, so you mean the Dozai? Dozai, oh, okay. sorry. Mis- um, mispronounced it. But yeah, and, and so we do see briefly, you're, you're right, they don't explicitly say this is prime directive territory, but part of the prime directive is first contact, how to deal with first contact situations, and that's pretty much all that the the Deep Space Nine is about because they are going to be dealing with new alien races coming through the wormhole all the time. Right. First contact is going to be their chief mission here, and Cisco knows it, and that's why he's kind of laying these rules down with Zek because he's like, yeah, even though it's not technically first contact with the Federation, this is a Federation controlled station. I can't have you being here, and in a sense, a de facto representation of the Alpha Quadrant, right. and you're and you're cheating people, right? Because whether whether or not we can separate and say though that wasn't the Federation, that was the Ferengi. Again, they could point back and just say, well, you let them on your station, you let them have run of this place. You obviously you condone their stuff, right? And you know, and by also by warning Zek that he's not going to tolerate any kind of swindling, cheating, or whatever. It also shows that the Ferengi clearly understand um, the concepts uh, of well, general fairness in right. regards to other other uh, societies. Mm-hmm. But it's just, you know, they're just schemers. They want to see what they can get away with and for how long before somebody calls them on it. Right. And that's what Cisco's kind of doing here early. He's preemptively being like, we know who you are and what you're about. Don't push me. Right. You know, which, again, is great because that's like Cisco's thing right now is that kind of very subtle threat. Right. We're not going to let you do this. Yes, you can. You you have a limit. And I'm watching you. Right. But great, great stuff. And I, I mean, it's always a great episode. I think when the Grand Nagus shows up, he's yeah. just, Wallace he's Sean. just great. Oh yeah. yeah, he plays the character to perfection. Um, uh, yeah, and even his little, uh, his tall servant. I was just thinking, like they, they did a great job of both internal logic of if I was a Ferengi, it's having a like I'm a short race, having a super tall servant would and would make me either feel better about my shortness or just like I, I have a, it, it somehow the contrast is there. I don't know. It just works for some reason for the Nagus. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, while Sean is fantastic. And when you know anything about the Ferengi, you know that they're always scheming. So the entire time Pell is telling Cork, like Cork, your eyes are too big than like, I was well, to say too big than your stomach, but that's not the right phrase. You aren't, thinking about all of the dangers that uh, are being presented by the Nagus coming. And, you know, 
he's using you. If the, if things go badly in the Gamma Quadrant, he's going to blame you for them going bad. That's why he's not the main negotiator. Um, mm-hmm. Pell is the one who's quoting the rules of acquisition and even says, I know even the commentaries on the rules of acquisition. Um mm-hmm. Which is which is fascinating because Cork even admits about halfway through the episode, like, man, I don't even know these rules of acquisition near as well as you do. So it's really interesting. Like Pell, in and of herself, is utterly upending any Ferengi thoughts on females can't do or be. Pell is the one who, throughout this episode, is the one who actually has the, as I said, the the cojones, has the the gumption, the 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 you know boldness to do what's necessary to get these deals made to go to a whole new quadrant to to really uh, go negotiate directly with these uh strange aliens who have already shown themselves mm-hmm. to be violent and she's already like i'm i'm there for it i'm there to we can make it happen um so yeah it's it's just a yeah the frankie are a fascinating race i i, I every yeah. time cork and the frankie are just like in the episode last season which was called the grand nagus or just nagus i think even um was a great episode this is just a follow-up on another great episode the frankie are are a fascinating species and um the more we can see of them the better and i'm glad that we do get to see more of them because i felt like at the second half of the first season they like actually started not using Quark so much because they had gotten Whoa. so much good stuff out of him in the first half. And yeah, I was going to say, they went, went, went quite, kind of uh, Quark-heavy there at first, and then they kind of dropped away right. from it a bit, yeah. you know? Um, another great Ferengi scene, um, which is actually Rom and Odo, and that's where Rom is talking about his jealousy of Pell getting to go on this mission with Quark and right. how she's helping him and supporting him, and he feels like that's supposed to be his role because Quark is his brother, right. and you know he's just kind of going on and on about it. And at first, Odo's paying attention, but you kind of see him—he's tuned Rom out a little bit, right. and then Rom kind of hits him, you know, and he's just like, "What would you do if it was your brother?" And we see that sudden longing for connection yeah. for family come out in Odo, and it was it was strong, it was primal, and obviously it was enough inspiration there for uh, Rom to break into Pell's quarters and do what he did. But right. um, I really I'd really just like that scene for for Odo's sake because you know we saw a little bit of this in the first season, right? And now this is really our first. Uh, instance of in the second season that we get to revisit a little bit and him speaking up so forcefully about um i wouldn't let anything come between us if it was yes. my brother nothing would stand between us you know right i really enjoyed that and the the passion with which he delivered that line saying that yeah he was there was no way that he would let that happen it was it was great yeah so i enjoyed that a lot yeah yeah, it was a great little moment for moto uh, again he's not in this episode all that much but in that one brief instant he really um yeah, you, you get an insight to him, and he helps drive. Uh, uh, what's the brother's name? Uh, Rom. Rom. I was gonna say Nog. I was like, that's the wrong one. Uh, Rom's behavior in that scene, and you knew as soon as that we saw the the lobes in Pell's apartment or room that we were gonna have that reveal that the, that was yeah. gonna be revealed at some point. So, um, <laughs> actually, and what a reveal it was! Oh yeah, I love that scene. But before we, uh, I just the, the idea that it took Rom that long. Like, can you see all the damage that's been done in the room as it pans around? It's like Rom couldn't. Oh yeah, didn't, right. Didn't, and he didn't check yeah. under the bed first. No, he like did the everything else except right. look in the one spot that. <laughs> and it wasn't. And it wasn't even like it was hidden very well, like a secret compartment or yeah. anything like that. It was just on like. The built-in shelving yes. on the bed. Yeah. And I thought the same thing. I was like, you destroyed this person's room, and you could have went there first and left, like, no trace yes, that you were there. Exactly. Just could have, like, got your evidence and left. Right. Which kind of goes to show you just how dumb Rom is. <laughs> know. You know, because he didn't check, like, one of the most obvious hiding spots ever. Yeah. But, uh, and again, it wasn't even that, it wasn't even hidden that well. It was just, like, sitting there. Not, not complicated. Yeah. So, yeah, it just, um... Yeah, again, strikes at how dumb, dumb Rom is. <laughs> yeah, but I, I have to say, that's why I love the scene, too, where it's revealed to Quark in the background what happens. That him fainting off screen, like they clearly had some pillow or some something to catch him as he fell over, as Armin Shimmerman fell over. It was just great. Like, that really uh, kind of lands home the point that 
Cork is totally didn't even understand at all what was going on and that it is truly a humiliation for their culture for a woman to do this, which is fascinating because this really actually brings home the point of are the Ferengi a truly, you know, avaricious culture because of who they are is like a physiology issue or is it because they have a society that ingrains this into them i mean they have what 200 and how many for 245 rules of acquisition but 285 285 but not only is pell able to you know just as adequately and even better than the male characters understand the rules of acquisition and apply them but she says that you know she wants something more than just profit even though she keeps talking like a ferengi like profit 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 she's like actually i want love um, and when yeah. she kisses Quark at the end of the episode, or they kiss each other, and she's like, you could come with me. Um, like, we really feel for Quark. Like, Quark has a pretty miserable existence. He's just constantly running after more gold-pressed yeah. latinum. And what's so funny about him, and the Frankie in general, is they clearly use their their wealth. They, 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 have, they acquire it, and they spend it, and just as quickly. Um, yeah. Which kind of makes sense, you know, if they're always trying to bargain, it makes sense that they're willing to use what they have to get what they want next, and, you know, they're never satisfied. But it just drives home the point that the Frankie male society is is just kind of sad. It's just kind of pathetic. And uh, Well, and keep in mind that the Frankie were supposed to be kind of a commentary on our own capitalistic right. um, lifestyle, you know, kind of capitalism run amok and pushed to uh, extremes, you know, to where, yes, their whole society seems to be built upon the acquisition of wealth and things and the buy-sell trade of the wealth and those things. And what we see in Quark, which makes him, you know, obviously not the typical Ferengi, is the sense that as we watch him, we see some of that stuff dropping away as he is influenced more and more by the other cultures that he comes into contact with, and in particular in working with the Federation. Right. The the human officers who are supposed to, again, they are supposed to have, have moved away from that. And even when we're first introduced to the Ferengi, that's one of the things Riker says about them in the episode, you know, The Last Outpost, is that, you know, um, the Ferengi were a lot like us. Yeah way back when right you know and so we're seeing to me we're seeing an evolution of that this gradual change here and you get the impression at least i do that there was a time when a female ferengi's access to information education and so forth was probably strictly monitored and they probably have a lot of rules about a lot of laws and everything like that but pell is clearly an example of that enough time has passed, and we find this in our own society, that, you know, with with enough time, anybody can find a way to overcome any rule. Right. Right? That there's, that not necessarily that there's an exception, but, you know, like we said, you build a 10-foot high wall, somebody builds an 11-foot high ladder. Right. You know, kind of that situation here. She was able somehow to not only get the education that she needs to be, to do business, but to do business quite well. Right. She's learned the rules of acquisitions and all of the various commentaries that are on them. She's obviously gotten in touch with somebody who can make her fake loaves that are good enough to pass inspection that got her the ability to buy clothes and buy transportation from the Ferengi home planet. Right. And she's able to come to the station and do business. So she, there's clearly a lot of things that are going on in Ferengi society that we're not, a hundred percent privy to, but it does sound like the soul driving acquisition of wealth may not be the the end all be all for Ferengi that we're, right. we're initially led to believe. Right. And uh, so we definitely need more on the Ferengi, and we are getting that more. Right. Um, I can definitely tell they are very popular um, popular characters here. Right. And Zek being kind of the old. Grand Nagus still holding on to those rules and mindsets. Again, it kind of shows there is a changing of the guard that's happening. Right. Zek, for as much business sense as he has and for as as well as he's revered, he's still a very old Ferengi. Right. You know, walking around with the cane and everything else. So there's there's a lot there that you can kind of deconstruct about the Ferengi and their changing society. We just need more time to see it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Fascinating culture that they created for this show, or for all of Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah. 
Now, for the show, fascinating, cre- fascinating creation would definitely have to be the Dozai. I love that they showed up and they're dressed in all black, and the guy's got his face painted red and the dots, everything else. Yes. And the, our first meeting with them is hurling them, hurling some guy through the, um, the airlock. Yeah, yeah. It was now, a minor disagreement. <laughs> right. Actually, it's kind of a brilliant way to start negotiations for anyone. Yeah. That's how you should always nice. do it. Sorry, I had to kill a nice subordinate. Power play. A subordinate got right. on my nerves. <laughs> nice power play there is uh, to beat someone up in front of your new prospective business partners. Yeah, exactly. And this obviously pales, uh, it stands out in stark contrast to some of the last aliens that we saw come through the wormhole and how they were, you know, which was um, the Wadi when we saw them in Move Along Home. I don't know what and, you're you know, saying. I am plugging my ears. <laughs> la, 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 la. <laughs> We've already talked about this episode. It was in season one. Dave, I know. <laughs> Quit talking about it. It was terrible. But no, you're right. We, haven't, we actually haven't had a lot of uh, other groups come before or come to the station yeah. before. Um, right. This is the second real alien group. Um all yeah, right. and you know, I remember that was also that was an episode that also was about the Ferengi. You know, they were coming mm-hmm. to we want Quirks. yeah, we want to play games they, at Quirks. They didn't care. Yeah, yeah, they didn't care about first contact and again Cisco being nervous about it a little bit. They didn't care. They were just like, Yes, yes, take us to the games. Like they yes. care less what Cisco All was right, saying. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So um so yeah, very stark contrast here. And then of course we actually get to go through the wormhole this time. We go to the Dozai homeworld and we see that they are a bunch of rowdy brawlers, mm-hmm. you know, and apparently Tulaberry wine just flows over yes. there. Like that giant <laughs> waterfall they had yes. going was was great, yeah. you know. And then Cork, of course, standing up there and just destroying all the barrels yeah. and making a grand spectacle of himself, you know. Great stuff. Yeah. I I liked that we got to see another another aggressive species. Like for so long in Star Trek, that's really always been the Klingons. You know, whenever you think of that kind of bold, brash behavior, it was always coming from the Klingons. Right. To see there was another race out there that kind of had the same mindset to a certain degree. Right. Was was nice. Yeah. I enjoyed that a lot. Yeah, let's make sure that these two cultures don't interact, though, because I'm sure that would go yeah. really bad very fast. <laughs> or imagine, imagine if it didn't go bad. What if they became allies? Oh no! Could you imagine? <laughs> yeah, the the Dozai Klingon alliance. <laughs> How many oh, quadrants would tremble in terror? <laughs> yeah, both sides. Yeah, both sides of the wormhole now are screwed up yeah. because of their alliance. Exactly. Oh man. So, in the end, though, we get to see a softer side of Cork. And we see that he, even though he sent Pell away and he did not join her, mm-hmm. he seems to be kind of sad that she's no longer going to be at his side, right. nor going to be helping him out. And he's even kind of abrupt um, with Rom a bit. Like, he's kind of upset that Rom outed her right. and uh, made their whole plan fall apart. Right. Now, you know... Dax is there, and she's kind of you know, talking him through it a little bit. But I think it was nice to see that once again, Cork, um, he's not all bad. Yeah, he's not he's not the bad guy that he's kind of been made out to be. He's still plenty <laughs> awful. Right. He's still plenty off. 99%, awful, but... <laughs> but he's got that one dash of one percent of good in him. <laughs> Which is uh, yeah, just enough reason for us to still keep him around. Right. Um, for at least one more episode. Yeah. We'll see if it plays out in the next but one. But actually, that, that really does kind of put it to home for me. Is like, you know, Pell was a great partner to him this whole episode. That was the whole point. Um, mm-hmm. And so if if Quark could have just opened his eyes a little bit, or if the Frankie culture was just a little bit more fair and equal Accepting. with their female, right. you know, the, with their women, like, she was totally on his side the whole time. She was helping him out. Even the whole twenty percent bit was just even like she didn't care about the profits ultimately. Like she'd have been just as happy to have like shared the whole hundred percent with them, you know, like as as a couple. And it really makes you wonder, like, is like are we ever gonna see what a true Ferengi romance looks like? Or is it purely just a power dynamic where I mean it sounds like it. It's just a power dynamic. Women have to just put up with the Ferengi males and that's just how it is. Well, and again, you know, Star Trek being Star Trek, this is often a commentary on our own society, on us, yeah. and, you know, talking about the benefits of having those kinds of relationships 
in our own lives, right. you know, instead of looking at um, people as competition, especially as especially with women, you know, uh, think of the potential gains you could have from being fair and equal and open right. with somebody who, especially somebody who seems to be trying to help you. You right. know, I understand there's always going to be that that part of us that wants to be, you know, a bit more reserved, especially when it comes to like a stranger coming into your life. Right. You know, but, you know, I feel like from what we see of Pell anyway, she was very upfront with how she was doing things. And even when the situation, because it seemed like at first she was just interested in doing business right. and being a part of Quark's business dealings. Right. But then as their relationship changes, their interactions change, and her feelings changed. She was again very upfront with it. She did not hide any of that from Cork. You right. know, there was a change in her demeanor, and then of course leading to the first, you know, kiss or attempted kiss, however you want to look at it. Right. You know, but again, very upfront all the way through. So it's just like there is something to be said about one taking a person at face value, and two at being open to the fact that just because a person happens to be a different gender from you doesn't mean that you can't have um, a good business relationship, uh, a good friendship, right. a good potential intimate relationship. Who knows? Right. You know. But um, a lot of different things that were spoken on um, right there that. I also enjoyed right. in the episode. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah, the one thing that I think uh, we haven't really talked about yet, but is really kind of interesting in this whole episode. This really talks hits on it quite a bit. You know, we have a character who's cross dressing, and we have a character who is a woman dressing up as a guy. And I was just thinking, you know, there are a lot of movies that I can think of, or at least, at least like one or two from the '90s that um, kind of tie into that. Um, this is Are Doubtfire. We gonna, wait, wait, wait. Oh, you, are we getting ready to have you, David's first 90s corner? I was gonna, I'm was i so excited. David's first 90s corner. And then I was like, I'll no. just jump the gun, I guess. Yes. <laughs> Go for it. David's first 90s corner. Okay, well. Hit me. Mrs. Doubtfire is the other is the other side. It's uh, Robin Williams' uh, husband to his wife. She's divorcing him. He wants to still spend time with his children, so he dresses up as a elderly English nanny uh, so he can still spend time with his children. Uh, Mulan, classic example of a woman dressing up as a man because in that story, she's trying to take her father's place when the draft basically comes for the Chinese Mm -hmm. army against the Mongols, I believe. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, going, uh, there's the movie Hook, um, where, uh, Glenn Close plays a man briefly in one scene. What's that? Yeah. What's that? Yeah. Uh, Go ahead. I I was agreeing with you. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Um, Captain Hook at one point is trying to figure out who doubts me, and he points his hook out into the audience like it's a like a uh, it can sense a magnetic attraction to whoever doesn't believe in his abilities. And Glenn Close is the pirate that he ends up picking out and saying, "You don't believe me." And Glenn Close breaks, and it's a hilarious scene. But Glenn Close has also played. Uh, she was originally in a um, a, a production from like 15 years as Albert Nobbs, which my understanding is uh, they made a movie of Albert called Albert Nobbs in 2011, but she'd been playing the role on stage for 15 years. And that is apparently a true story about a man. I'm sorry, a woman who dressed up as a man for a long time. Now I don't know the story. I have not seen the movie. Mm-hmm. I just remember seeing um, like ads for it. And so I, as soon as I saw this episode, I was like, Oh yeah, I haven't seen that yet. Um, people are probably aware if you know, Shakespeare, Shakespeare, when the when the plays were originally produced, they were always male actors playing all the parts, yeah. and so all female characters in Shakespeare were played by men. So there's a lot of fun scenes in Shakespeare where a male actor is playing a female character who dresses up as a male at one point during the story. So, like for example, the two gentlemen of Verona uh, is one of those. Um, and, I, and when I was in college, we we made a production of that show. And I was just in the backstage, but uh, so I didn't actually have any parts. But we actually called it Two Gentle Women of Verona, and we, we gender-swapped the male and female leads. And so... Um, so you had a female dressing as a male dressing as a female. No, we had a male playing a male. I'm sorry. We had, Yeah, we had a male playing a male, dressing as a... Cross-dressing as a female. And I, one of the guys who was playing that part, you know, he was playing a male dressing up as a female and he does not look good as a female so it was hilarious when he walked out on stage and was effective the worst drag imaginable and every other character on stage <laughs> is supposed to be convinced that this is actually a believable costume <laughs> i just remember that making everyone so, in the audience really really laugh so but yeah anyway so, 
with this historical context here, so we're seeing a story. Obviously, this was this episode was filmed in the '90s, but it's set 24th century, and we're seeing this kind of cross-dressing attribute. And with your evidence here, we're showing that there is a a pattern throughout history right. of people cross-dressing as one gender or another. Right. So um, I guess it raises some really interesting questions as to whether or not this is something that was ever really necessary in society or was this just simply um, just a bunch of theater, just uh, something to do in shows. Right. You know, because as we see, especially now, a lot of our own contemporary stories are inspired by historical events. Right. You know, so I, it makes me wonder, you know, if Shakespeare was inspired in the same way. Did he at some point come across some cross-dressing actors who were actually legitimately women but were cross-dressing as male just so that he could act and do business? Right. Or other people in society who were cross-dressing as other characters in order to, you know, do this again live as live a different life right you know it kind of makes you think that it it must have been occurring because yeah that would have been the influence right. right they would have been coming across these people who you know some woman who for the longest time everybody thought was was james instead of jamie i don't know and she was the blacksmith forever but because she had a certain physical type you know no one really questioned that it wasn't a man right. until something happened that made them question it right so I don't know, um, but it makes me think that obviously we that it had. If we can trace stories like that all the way back to Shakespearean times, then clearly there must have been some of this going on there. Which I don't know if that's you know a good thing or a bad thing about our society that can even to this day we have these people who feel like they must hide themselves in order to find acceptance in our society and find representation. And I mean, say what you want to about, you know, the state of our world right now, but we've got a lot of that, you know, all these uh, uh, changes and transitive people and, and everything else that are, that are out there. And um, right. I mean, some people think that it's good. Some people think that it's bad, but to me, it sounds like it's just another constant of human society. Yeah. I would definitely say it makes sense to me that there are people who, sense whether in an internal sense or an external they see something external to themselves that is only available to one group of people and therefore they choose to take the risk of um trying to pass as that in order to to gav that like if women were being second-class citizens in england and therefore uh you know albert knobs you know, was a woman but you know being a man gave her opportunities. Allowed them that, the freedom to move around. Right, exactly. Be a part of society. That mm -hmm. makes sense. If the society was was abusing their, you know, their women or, or or minority people and whatever case may be, and so I mean, I remember I'm just thinking about that. Like I don't remember what the book was called, but I remember reading a story at middle school about a. Um, it was like a a story. I'm saying about uh, some black. A black family, so it's like a little black girl is the main character, and she has like a cousin who can pass for white, and um, that was a real problem for that character, this cousin, that she could pass for white, because as soon as she was realized to not be white, then um, she was in danger. So, yeah, there's lots of stories that we can see of yeah. that, and yeah, it makes sense that um, there are people in the past, now, that um, experience that sensation and uh and those thoughts those and those feelings and and then take steps to to maybe try and uh uh reconcile those things mm -hmm. um to varying levels of success so yeah yeah i also remember reading a story um when i was younger i wish i could remember the title of it but it was about this uh man and woman and they were married and the wife though was um very light-skinned and so she could pass as white right and um her husband he could not right so they had this whole plan to escape um the slavery and segregation of the south and go to the north and basically he posed as her slave right and they made their way north and that's eventually ultimately how they escaped until they were finally at a point where i think they made it all the way to canada and were able to live um right. freely yeah 
as a, as a married couple. But, you know, there's a lot of, obviously there were a lot of inherent dangers in that. And if they were ever found out, they found out that she in fact was actually an escaped slave herself and not this white woman and, and so forth. And obviously they both would have been in um, grave danger there. Um, right. I really wish I could remember the story. I read that. I think I was probably 12 or 13. Yeah. When I read that. So it's a long time ago, but I will, I'll look into it yeah. and bring that back up. But yeah, I mean, it just goes to show again that, um, that this idea of acceptance of people as they are, which again brings us back to the episode, and in particular that scene with Kira and Dax, where she's talking about, you know, that we're not all going to be the same. We're not all going to have the same outlooks on life and person and everything else, but there's still no reason to deny someone um, a wife just because you don't agree with their their look, right. you know, or, or their preference or anything like that. Right. So, um, Again, great episode all around, just not from, from that standpoint, but just from giving us a great overall life lesson. And then, of course, being very entertaining with the end where Pell reveals herself to the Grand Nagus <laughs> and his reaction, yeah. of course. So, all around, great stuff. Once again, season two of this, of this show is really not disappointing. Yeah, It's holding up very well, especially considering how we ended uh, the first season and rolled right into the second. Okay, right. so uh, I, I love that so far. We haven't had any really like, you know, filler episodes yet. Um, but perhaps I spoke too soon because, of course, we have whatever's coming next week. <laughs> Are you saying that something is coming that we should? All I'm saying is that we have another episode coming next week. So that's it. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> you know, we have another episode. Oh, all, right, so, all, right, all right. Cool. But. That will be basically us wrapping up for this hour of our show. Um, David, did you have anything else that you wanted to say before we close it out? No, I just want to thank everyone for once again tuning in. Um, I think you can tell that we really enjoy talking about this show and just chatting in general. I mean, literally, we chat way more. Like when we get off, guys, we chat for like another hour just about anything else. This show, anything else. Most of the time, yeah. So I hope Um, you guys are enjoying listening to us as much as we enjoy talking to each other. And who knows, there might be some time in the future where we will record some of that and uh, get that out there to you as well. But um, for right now, you're just going to have to be satisfied hearing us on (laughs) this podcast and potentially interacting with us on um, Facebook and Twitter, of course. As always, you can find us as The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. Just search for The Fire Caves again on Facebook, Twitter, Spotify, anywhere you listen to podcasts, really, and uh, we will be there. We'd love to hear from you, what you think of our show so far, um, and anything that you think that we could do to um, make it better, if that's possible. Let's face it, we're pretty perfect as we are right now. Um, but as always, remember, any comments you leave, keep it um, keep it light, keep it friendly, keep it civil, and uh, of course, we will respond. Of course. But until next time... I'm Perry, and I hope you all have a good night. Take care of yourselves. Thanks, guys.